Well, good morning. Uh, I'm going to just let you know up front that for the next half hour, I'm going to act a lot like a toddler, like a two-year-old. I have every intention to demand all your time. There's going to be a lot of babbling. And at the end of this, I'm going to walk off and there is going to be a huge mess that I haven't cleaned up. I just want to let you know right now, when I walk away, you're going to say, that's not right. So I'm going to let you know now that you're here, stay here for class because class is going to be sermon part two. I'm not going to make any effort to try to fix this. If you are online, don't go offline. Stay online with us for the class time because I really want to wrap up and talk a little bit more about what we're going to talk about over the next few minutes. So just hang in there. But first, I just want to confess. I want you to know I really don't like doctors. Actually, the truth is I don't have a doctor. It's an odd answer to a question that's often posed when I'm filling out a form. Who's your primary care physician? And I have this awkward moment where I have to say, no one. I don't have a regular doctor that I go to. And when people ask me who they recommend, I say, I really don't know. If I need to go see a doctor, it's probably because I'm bleeding, which does happen occasionally. Or I call Kristen because I expect her to figure out how to fix me as well too. But the fact is, I don't really like doctors. And I don't like the question about who's your doctor because I feel really awkward, especially when another doctor is saying, so, who's your real doctor? I think it's kind of like when a preacher goes up to a non-practicing churchgoer and says, hey, where do you attend? And there's this awkward silence like, what do I really say? I don't have a doctor. And it's really not that I have a problem with doctors specifically but I definitely have a problem with how the whole system works have you noticed how archaic our medical industry is I mean think about it for just a moment okay in a country that is so modern and advanced when you walk into a doctor's office, it's almost like you're walking back in time 60 years. Think about it. If you want to shop, you do it online. You can look at all sorts of charts and comparisons, helping you decide which is best and which offers the best prices. The medical field is more like walking to a five and dime from the 40s. When I walk into Walmart and I want to buy a box of cereal, I know how much that Frosted Flakes is going to cost me. I can think about previous experiences where I've gone into Walmart to buy Frosted Flakes. Or I can look at a receipt. Or I could probably pick up an ad in the newspaper that says that Frosted Flakes is on sale this week. And if all of that fails, if I've never done this before, I can walk up and by the time I get to the blue box with Tony the Tiger, there's going to be a little label there that says Frosted Flakes, $3.49. Can you do that at a doctor's office? 
When was the last time that you picked up a newspaper and a doctor was advertising their prices for what they're selling you? Maybe when you walk into the doctor's office, there's a little kind of menu you can look at that says if you want this done, it costs this much, if it costs this much. But there's none of that, right? Remember what, what Dad told you about going into a restaurant and being handed a menu that doesn't have the prices? Remember what he said? He says, if you have to ask, you can't afford it. And so we walk into a doctor's office, and not only do we not know ahead of time how much it's going to cost, we don't know what, how much it's going to cost when we walk in. It takes six weeks after we've already had the appointment to figure out how much we owe them. But that's not the only thing that drives me crazy about walking into a doctor's office. Another thing is, there's no guarantees or warranties implied, stated, or otherwise. Listen, if I buy a chainsaw and I turn into Paul Bunyan for the next 50 days and cut down every tree I can find and that chainsaw stops working, I can take that back in I have a 90-day warranty in which I can say the thing broke. This was supposed to last. And we've all done this at Walmart, and I'm not saying we should, but you can take anything back to Walmart. There are people who've taken back used toothbrushes to Walmart, and Walmart, Walmart has a no-questions-asked refund policy. You get that at the doctor? Think about it. It's the only place that you go where it's actually called a practice. There's no guarantee you walk in and it's like, well, this might work, but it might not work. In fact, what probably is going to happen is we're going to give you some medication and it's going to fix your problem, but it's going to create four more. But that's okay because we have another pill that's going to fix those problems. And of course, it's going to require another pill to fix the side effects from that. There's no promises that anything that you do at the doctor is actually going to stick or work. But you know, in six weeks, after some deliberation, they're going to send you a bill for a whole lot of money. But the worst thing about a doctor's office is what? It's the weight. Think about it. How many other places do you go? Have you ever called a car dealership and said, I would like to buy a car, and they say, okay, we'll set up a time, come see us in six weeks. So you wait for the appointment. And then you show up at the doctor's office, and they have a room that they have built that is completely and totally designed for you to wait even longer. You wait there, and then they trick you. Because then they say, it's time for you to go back to the room. And you go back to the smaller room, and they don't say it's a waiting room, but it is. It's just with fewer people and less magazines. And you wait, and then you finally get to see the doctor. And the doctor will visit with you, she'll assess you, she'll check you out, and then she'll say, you need to have this test run. What happens then? You call and you make an appointment. 
And then you go to the testing facility and then you wait. And then after they take the test, then you wait for the results. But you don't get the results. You have to wait for the doctor to look at the results. And then you have to set up an appointment with them. It's waiting. I mean, think about this. Think about the fact that we don't know how much we're going to pay. There's no guarantees. And they're going to make us wait and wait and wait. It is just so maddening. And because of that, this morning, I want to make a suggestion. I say we link arms. I say we stand strong. And I say we all boycott doctor's offices. I mean, think about this. No more doctors and no more pills. No more relief from pain. If you've got an ailing gallbladder, just deal with it. If you're in pain long enough, finally, people will do something about it. Until then, we're left waiting. And that's exactly what we have in Exodus chapter 5. I think in a lot of ways, as we look at the Israelites in Egypt, we can liken it to what some doctor's appointments feel like. But hang with me. I'm going to tie this up. I hope. In Exodus chapter 5, the Israelites have an appointment. And if you weren't paying attention, it might look like the last really bad doctor's visit that you had years ago. The cost of the visit is unknown. There are no guarantees that things will work, but it is obvious before we get too many verses in that there are absolutely side effects. Oh, and yes, there is the waiting. Remember, we ended last week in chapter 3. Moses shows up to the elders of Israel and he says, God has seen and heard you. And that gets them really excited. In fact, it wasn't the fact that he threw down the staff and it turned into a snake and he picked it back up. It wasn't the fact that he took his hand, it became leprous, he leprous, he put it back in and it was healed again. That wasn't what got them really excited. What got them really, really excited is when Moses says, God has heard your cries and He's seen your suffering. And they were ecstatic. In fact, it says that they worshipped because God had heard them. There was a cure. Something was going to work. There was hope. And then came the appointment. Then came the unknown. Then came the waiting. And so I want to read in Exodus chapter 5, just verses 1 and 2. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go said that they, so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey Him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. So already we have problems with this plan. 
it was going to be perfect. God came to Moses. There's the burning bush. He says, I'm going to use you and you're going to deliver my people into a land flowing with milk and honey, which, by the way, it's inhabited right now, but I've got that taken care of. Oh, and you're also a people who are in slavery, but I've got that taken care of too. Everything seems really good. And then comes this really fine print about the side effects. Pharaoh won't listen. Pharaoh says, I don't know your God. And then it really all just starts to fall apart then. Pharaoh gets upset. I mean, really mad. And he decides he's going to take it out on these lazy Israelite slaves who think they deserve a vacation out in the desert of all places. And he says, oh, since you have so much time to sit around and talk about how great your God is and how terrible things are and how you have to get away, I'm going to make sure that you don't have time to even think about it. So what does he do? He says, no straw for you. He says, you've been required, you have a quota to make bricks. However, we've been really kind and generous to you people as we've enslaved you. We've collected straw for you. But from now on, since you have so much time and you are dreaming about escapades in the desert, we're just going to take away the straw. Oh, but by the way, you're still going to have to fill that same quota as before. Well, and things start to get even worse. When quotas aren't met, slave drivers tend to get angry. And so we have, continuing on in verse 12 of chapter 5, so the people, the Israelites, scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, complete the work required for you each day, just as when you had straw. The Israelite foremen appointed by Pharaoh's slave drivers were beaten and were asked, Why didn't you meet your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite foremen went and appealed to Pharaoh, Why have you treated your servants in this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet you're told, Make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, Lazy. That's what you are. Lazy. That is, what, that is why you keep saying, let us go sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite foreman realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required for you each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, May the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials have put a sword in their hand to kill us. 
what just happened? Is this really how it's supposed to go? I mean, God talked a little bit about Pharaoh not really going along with the plan He told Moses to share with him. I mean, remember, He was, he was up front. He said, at the burning bush. Now, Pharaoh isn't going to agree. But he will ultimately agree. But did God leave out the part where the Israelites turn on Moses and Aaron? I mean, of all the arguments that Moses had, saying, oh, I I really can't talk. I shouldn't be the one to go find somebody else. He never said, I just don't want to be the one that's hated and ridiculed by my own people. And so this is the question I have to ask, and I ask it so many times. And I think if you're completely honest, you've asked this question. Why God? Why would you do it this way? We know about your mighty hand. We know that God can deliver them. In just a few chapters, they are going to walk out of Egypt with all the gold and silver they can carry, and they're going to walk on dry land where there was water. Why the weight, God? Why couldn't he have just said, Pharaoh, we're going? And I'm not trying to be flippant here, but he could do the whole waving of the hand. These aren't the slaves you're looking for. Like, let my people go. And God could have easily said to Pharaoh, you know what? He could have came in a vision. You're going to let my people go. And they're going to walk out here. And you're not going to do a thing about it. But there's, there's none of that. Why? Why, God? Why couldn't you just do it quicker? Why the wait? Why the unknown? Why the side effects? It makes you wonder. Why go to a God that makes you wait? Why go to a God who says, the cost is really going to be high. Why go to a God that will deliver you out of slavery and throw you in a desert to starve? So what do we do? We can link arms. We can stand up. We can boycott. We can say, God, this is not what You promised. Or at least, not what we understood You to promise. Think back to that day. Think back to the day when 
when your life was absolutely changed, when you really believed that there was a God who loved you, that He sent His Son to die for you, and that if you just followed Him, if you just were immersed into a life of following Him, then it would change everything. How many days ago was that? How many times did the cost turn out to be a lot more than you anticipated? When did you have to deal with the side effects of following God? Which meant a whole lot more than sitting in a pew on a Sunday morning. How many of you have sacrificed? How many hours of prayers have you lifted up to God? And He took you out of Egypt and slavery and now you're in the desert. We're about to sing this song. And I hope the song is encouraging because this last question is not. Is God really worth the wait?